listening to Pep Talk, discussing policy, evidence and practice in Wales. Pep Talk is brought to you by the Wales Centre for Public Policy at Cardiff University. Hello and welcome to this remote version of the Wales Centre for Public Policy Pep Talk. We're all in lockdown at the moment due to the coronavirus pandemic, working from home and socially distancing and in some cases shielding. The centre has been doing some work in this context on the experience of loneliness and social isolation and in particular the role of technology in alleviating loneliness and social isolation. We've been thinking about loneliness and social isolation and the way in which it affects many different people at different points throughout the life course and the extent to which it is a significant challenge to well-being as improving well-being continues to be a policy priority for both Welsh Government and public services across Wales, it's likely that loneliness and social isolation will continue to be on the policy agenda for a long time. Indeed, Welsh Government recently released its loneliness strategy for Wales, entitled communities, and many public services, including local councils, health boards and third sector organisations, have identified loneliness and social isolation as a key priority for them. The coronavirus pandemic and the current response, including social distancing and shielding, are both increasing the experiences of loneliness and social isolation and challenging our usual strategies for tackling loneliness and social isolation that rely on increasing face-to-face contact. In this context, the Wales Centre for Public Policy recently released a briefing note on the role of technology and particularly surfacing some of the issues of access and technology functionality, so the way in which it's designed to support people. And we wanted to continue the conversation about this by talking to Professor Julie Barnett, who is a social scientist at the University of Bath, currently Professor of Health Psychology, and one of the co-investigators on the Economic and Social Research Council-funded project, Loneliness in the Digital Age. Hello, Julie. Hi, thanks, Hannah. Can I just ask you first off, what kinds of challenges do you think the current lockdown conditions present for social isolation and people's experience of loneliness? Yes, I mean, I guess, you know, perhaps one of the main things is that we've actually been thrown into this situation. We know already that that transitions are one of the situations in which loneliness can start to occur. Those everyday life transitions of, for example, having a baby, moving house, retiring you know these are the sorts of transitions that we encounter in life that can often be linked to perhaps becoming more socially isolated and often to becoming lonely as well and what we've experienced in the pandemic is a transition the like of which none of us will experience before and also that it's actually happened very suddenly we've been unable to actually even think ahead of time about what the implications of that will be so i think that is one of the situations around the pandemic that has made this a sort of an unprecedented challenge around thinking about um, loneliness and and social isolation. One other thing, just to mention of that, actually, in a sense that perhaps we might think that actually loneliness is becoming, or for some of us at least, a more common experience. It can often be thought of as as quite a stigmatised condition. It's something that it's often hard to admit to, that one does feel lonely. And... Perhaps more generally, one of perhaps the silver linings of of this whole situation is that uh, loneliness will start to become a a little bit more stigmatised, that people realise actually it is a a very natural, normal part of the human condition, although not perhaps with the the extremes, the unwanted extremes that that many people will be experiencing as a result of uh, the COVID pandemic. 
I mean, it's a good point that you raise there about the impact of transition on loneliness and the fact that this is a very particular and unique type of transition to a new way of living. And so I wanted to ask you how you think people can be supported at a time where direct social contact must be avoided and where public services are also under severe strain. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as you raised in your introductory piece, Annie, you know, one of the really challenging things at the moment is that invariably the solutions and the, the ways in which we think about either preventing or mitigating loneliness, normally that involves being face-to-face contact often when people are lonely mm. that you know that's about the feeling that the quality of their social relationships is not what it's like and normally the way that we address that is actually enhancing people's uh, social circles enabling them encouraging them to be able to do that and that might be done in all sorts of ways you know pe- basically doing things for other people that they might enjoy whether it's that that's about choirs engaging with nature actually you know coffee morning so on. Yeah. all of those things actually involve face-to-face contact and one of the big challenges at the moment is that those things aren't happening so we have to start to think about the role of technology and how that might enable the things that we try normally to do through face-to-face contact i think that is uh, you know this 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 challenge that we're that we're faced with at the moment in what ways do you think technology can be used to perhaps both identify those that might be experiencing loneliness and social isolation and also help to alleviate that experience? There's two really big parts to that question. I guess just to take the identifying bit first, how yeah. can technology be used to identify? I mean, I guess some of the work that's been done has drawn upon the work done, for example, by the Office of National Statistics that's identified the sorts of profiles of people that are most likely to be lonely. So in that sense, one can think of areas of the country, places where those characteristics are more common. For example, people that live alone, people in a certain age group, for example. So in that sense, it might be possible for, for example, for local authorities and so on, to actually identify areas where they might think about being particularly sensitised to that around where there is the possibility of actually encouraging community groups, resourcing community groups, uh, etc. So I think that's one way in which one can think of at a fairly high level about identifying where people that are most likely to be lonely are living because we know it does relate in fairly systematic ways to particular socio-demographic characteristics. I guess the other way of thinking about identifying is actually using local intelligence networks, if you like. So in terms of people that you know are volunteering, are part of groups, for example, of people that actually understand who, who's in the community and so on. Now, I guess when we turn our attention to thinking about away from you know, how does technology identify into what technology can do, I guess it's worth mentioning at the outset that actually, in a sense, technology's had a bit of a bad press around how it might help with loneliness because it's often about moving things away from the face-to-face. But in terms of what technology can do, I think we've lots of examples about the ways in which technology's actually been deployed and used by local groups to build links with people in particular roads, places, 
communities and so on. So, you know, for example, where I live in Bath, there's been a, a WhatsApp group set up in the road that I live in. And so not everyone is on WhatsApp, but actually those that are perhaps point out people next door, they do see, they talk to over the fence. So in a sense, the technology has enabled that sort of contact with people, even though not everyone is actually signed up to it. And I think this is something that really bears a much greater scrutiny as to how technology can be integrated with those, albeit physically distant, but more face-to-face -face, um, elements as well. I was going to ask you, and I think now is probably a good time to ask you about what we think the barriers, as well as the enablers, are to the role that technology can play. But of course, it's mm. worth thinking about what we mean by technology. What are the kinds of things, you know, you started to talk there about WhatsApp mm. and sort of uh, social media platforms. What might we include in our definition of technology, I suppose? Yeah, well, I think, you know, something that, um, you know, I've been thinking about a lot more in, in response, actually, to thinking about COVID, that often part of the reason technology and absolutely rightly gets a bad press around thinking about learning is partly is because the, the evidence base is actually massively limited. In fact, we, we don't really even have a strong evidence base about what face-to-face -face things work well. Part of the reason that we, technology gets a bad press is because uh, there's the lack of an evidence base. But the other reason, quite rightly, is that often when we think about technology, we think about online stuff. We think about the internet. And actually, you know, we know that about 10% of adults in the UK, for all sorts of reasons, do not reliably have access to the internet. That might be because they uh, don't have access to the internet at all. They don't have the Wi-Fi. They're not interested. And perhaps they may have that and they, they have a lack of skills in that area, don't see the need for it and so on. So that forces us to think really about exactly what we do mean by technology. And this is a time too for thinking about those more everyday technologies. You know, one might think about landline phones, but also we also need to think about uh, the role, for example, of television and radio and how those technologies might be used to afford people a sense of connection, a sense of the value of the human voice, a sense of companionship and so on. And I think that's something that, particularly in this pandemic, we really need to think about much more than we have done. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's been some initiatives around, you know, enabling access to radio and, and to television uh, with a focus on loneliness and socialisation. We talk a bit about those in, in the note. I think it gets us on to sort of what do these technologies need to do? So there may be kind of issues of access, particularly to things around the internet, but even where we have access to softer technologies as well as the more online technologies, what is it about how these technologies can be used that helps people to feel like those connections are being forged, to feel like that it's safe and that it's meaningful, that their engagement is meaningfully alleviating their loneliness? Oh, I don't think we do. I mean, I think, you know, there, there is work to be done, for example, about, you know, the difference between hearing people and seeing people, for example, would be, you know, one thing that would be when we're trying to really pin down what it is that's useful. Is it about, you know, particular, seeing particular individuals? Is it about being, being able to be part of a group? Is it about where those things are directly almost aimed at um, mitigating loneliness? Or is it simply being a part of something? 
lots of online choirs at the moment, for example, you know, it's a social isolation choir. Is it about something, being part of something that's not ostensibly about particular contact with people, but is actually something that actually enables one to, to feel part of something? So I think we, there is a lot of work to be done to actually understand that um, yeah. in a lot more detail than we currently do. Can you tell us a bit about the work that was done under the Loneliness in the Digital Age project? One of the key things that you were looking at in that project was around support for carers, which is a group of people who have long felt socially distanced, socially isolated, for whom improving or enhancing or increasing the level of social connections that they may have is not always possible. And so technology has always perhaps had a role there, or at least, you know, there's been an exploration about that role. Things that we can learn about how technology was thought about by that group and, and ultimately mm. needed to operate in order to support mm. that group. You know, the first thing to say there is that, that, you know, you're right, we did do this particular piece of work thinking about the role that technology might have for carers and the, and the way that we, you know, we felt that this was a group that actually there was some evidence that we needed to think about that in a very clear way about what the specific needs were. So I, I think that, that gives me a chance to sort of make the point that although these are, there are lots of generic technologies that at the moment in the, in the context of the pandemic, that it's fantastic to be able to piggyback on and use and appropriate for, to build those social connections. That there is also a role in thinking much more clearly, perhaps as we go on, as this pandemic goes on, about the ways in t that technology can be designed for particular groups. And I say particular groups because the particular groups because they have particular needs, particular characteristics. Mm -hmm. So for example, in relation to carers, you know, the, the, the fact is that the, the, the carers themselves can be hugely different roles. But at the moment, obviously, in the, in the pandemic, lots of people are, can be actually socially isolated with the person they're caring for to a much greater extent than normal. But the, the work we did looked at carers and the way that, in fact, all the focus generally is on the care for person, that the carer is often, their lives are very much in service of the needs of the care for person. And the, the focus of interactions with healthcare providers will be on the cared for person and not the carer. So we set out to actually look in that particular situation. And part of the work that we did with uh, colleagues that are particularly skilled around technology and design was actually working with carers themselves. So this was again about actually involving the people that are the experts on the situation to understand exactly what type of technology that was going to be most useful to them. So we went through this process of participatory co-design to actually develop a, a sort of prototype, if you like, of what the technology was that would be most useful. And in fact, in this, just to give the example in this instance, it was almost, it was like a radio. We called the device chatter, but it, the, the, the functionality of that, what looked like a radio, functionality of that was very much around recognising that carers are not all always available at a particular time. So though they could link into a small network of other carers, actually the way that those links could happen were asynchronous. It didn't matter if two people weren't available at the same time. They could leave messages for other people in the network. There was content like radio content that was particularly interesting around carers. There was the possibility for carers to say how their day had been going. People could indicate that they had heard and appreciated that 
uh, content, even if at that moment they couldn't actually get back and, and to leave a message. So that was the sort of technology that we done, partly actually not as a, a final solution, but as something that allowed us to actually look at the needs of that group a little more. And that's something that we, you know, we hope to develop further under, under future um, research funding. The important thing is, though, it was actually, you know, designed with carers for their specific situation. And that's something I think as other groups, we might think about other groups that we do need to think about the very particular issues that those groups face. I think this is a really, really important contribution to how we think about the current situation created by the, the coronavirus pandemic. It might be tempting to think these are the types of technologies we have. You know, we, we have radio programming and television programming. We have, um, we have telephones. We have internet-enabled forms of connection. And the provision of that in itself is what we need to be looking to. But I think what we're, what we're learning from the work that you've done in the past is that it's about thinking about how those technologies function in very particular ways for very particular groups. So it, kind of a one-size-fits-all doesn't work. Would you... Mm. Yeah. Or perhaps a one-size-fits-all would, would, would fall short of the mark, maybe. I absolutely agree. And, and I think at the moment in the, in the situation, where what we've seen is actually that people have been very creative in fairly instantly appropriating existing technologies, which is, you know, WhatsApp, Facebook, and so on, to actually engage sections of local communities together. So in one sense, you know, people are very creative in using what's out there. But on, you know, on the other hand, as perhaps as we go on, you know, if, for example, people that are shielding, you know, we have to think a bit more carefully and creatively around particular groups within those in particular situations. And also, I think it's very important. I mean, I hope we haven't done this in this conversation, but to not have um, a stereotype of uh, loneliness that simply links that with older people, that we do have to think much more broadly. So in fact, you know, recent work that was done, well, the recent work of ONS and also the work that was um, done on the BBC loneliness experiment where um, Pamela Coulter, Pamela Barreto, and Christina Victor, the work that they did, I think that it really showed there that it was actually younger people, you know, people in their 20s, that they expressed um, the greatest degree of being lonely. So we have to be careful to, be, to think carefully about groups that are defined by their age, as well as, you know, to, not just to assume that loneliness leads us to think about um, older people. That's certainly something that's um, come from the National Survey for Wales as well, that, that younger people report higher likelihood of loneliness or report feeling lonely to a greater degree. And, uh, and also that loneliness is linked also to uh, where people live. As you're saying, it's not necessarily about people, but about the kinds of connections that are enabled and afforded to them by their circumstances and including their degree of, of material deprivation. So I think what it might be good to kind of conclude our conversation on just what we think some of the top tips or the learning from what we know currently about how we can support people now, but also looking beyond the current coronavirus pandemic and, it, and its particular circumstances to how we support people and communities with technology to, to alleviate loneliness mm. and social isolation. Mm. Generally, what are some of the things that we need to keep foremost in our mind about the role of technology? 
Well, I, I guess the first thing, you know, perhaps to say there is that we should be thinking about understanding exactly what we are learning now to actually understand that where the technology is currently being deployed, who's doing it, how's it being done, what's making it successful, what's, where's it working, what's, where's it not working, so that yeah. we can actually learn from that. I mean, I think that's important, both in the context of that, you know, it is a, you know, we're talking about the possibility of future waves of the pandemic. We hope that doesn't happen, but if it does, we certainly would want to have learned from what's going on now. So I think that to actually to do research that helps us to learn what's worked well is something that would be very important to do. And often what's worked well will be things that have been initiated on the ground by community groups. And that's something that we really do need to look at. So I think that's the first thing to say about what we need to do. And I guess it may be important to actually think about the way that particular existing platforms might be fine-tuned or adjusted in some way to actually afford better connections. There may be the opportunity to actually increase Wi-Fi coverage, to actually make sure that people have have got access to that, because sometimes people aren't on the internet, they may have the, the kit, they may have the skills, but have actually got to pay a lot of money to be able to do the things that actually enable them to engage more fully. And also, I think organisations that are actually all about teaching people digital skills are very important. You can't really do that in, you have to do that in peacetime, as it were, not in wartime. You can't expect people that uh, want to be able to, for just for example, simply to get online to, you know, FaceTime with, with relatives and so on. You can't expect them to be able to learn to do that in the heat of the, uh, the battle, as it were. But we have to do that in peacetime so people are confident and able to do that. In those. So I think these are the sorts of strategic planning that we need to be thinking, and I'm, I'm sure lots of our people are thinking about that, but that, I think that's where we need to really put a priority um, going forward. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Thank you so much for your time, and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. So thank you, Professor Julie Barnett, for speaking with me today. You can read all about the Wales Centre for Public Policy's work on loneliness in the lockdown on our website, as well as all the other work we're undertaking on life during and after the coronavirus pandemic. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pep Talk. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcasting app. And I hope you'll join us again soon for another Pep Talk.